dentist with too much time on his hands and too much recording equipment in his basement. Armed with an obsession to bring entertaining and informative content to the dental world in a way that's never been done before, I give you the Alan Mead Experience. Well, hello and welcome to the Alan Mead Experience. I'm your host, Alan Mead. I'm a dentist, podcaster, and snow pants enthusiast. And uh, I just want to thank the people who support this in every episode of the Alan Mead Experience. That would be Premier Dental Products, Inspired Solutions for Daily Dentistry. We're going to be talking a little bit about some of their stuff later on in the show. But I'd also like to introduce my co-host, who's been on the show once before. She's um, a regular member of the Brain Trust of the Dental Hacks. This is Dr. Tammy Bailey. Tammy, how are you doing? Excellent. Good, good, good. So you are in uh, central Wisconsin right now. I am in central Michigan right now, and we're having, uh, we were talking about the weather. It is, it's, I mean, it's in the morning, it's getting colder, but we've had like very nice weather lately, like during the day. It's in the high 40s and stuff, which is weird. Oh, yeah. High 50s a couple times. Yeah. You don't even quite really know what, I will say this. I've heard that our, our winter is looking like it's going to be pretty mild this year. Have you heard any different? Um, I don't really pay attention because I don't want to know. I just, I wake up and I look like what it looks like out the window. Yeah. I, it's frustrating too, because the older I get, the less I actually am tolerating the cold. I have found that like I used to, since I grew up in Michigan, I I haven't known anything. And then I went to dental school in Minnesota. So there's a four year respite when I was near Cincinnati where it didn't get that cold when I was in college. But basically I've been in cold and snow forever, but I, I do tolerate it worse the older I get. I don't know if it's just my my body starting to break down or what, but I, I have less tolerance for it. The cold doesn't bother me, but I notice sometimes when it's like that cold damp, yeah. I I feel like like an old old woman. Like sometimes I'm like, God, everything hurts. This is the weather. Oh my God. Well, you know, I shouldn't even be thinking this. I the, can't fresh be snow, the fresh snow is still great for me, but the problem the problem is you know this very well. Like pretty fresh snow lasts for like two hours, and then after that, yeah. it's then after that, it's, it's like oh god, and you know then because then you gotta you know you gotta do the driveway or you gotta have someone yeah. do the driveway at the office, and and it takes no time at all before it's all dirty and brown and dog pee, and you're just like Ugh. yeah. So so like like the fresh magic of winter just doesn't last for very long, and then after that, it's all a matter of putting snow out of the way and having to wear like yeah. giant snow pants as we were talking about before and yeah, boots yeah. and slipping and hoping you don't land on your ass. And I mean, it's just yeah. like I, well, I over and over the snow off even, I mean, cause it's too big to, it takes up too much room in a parking lot. So yeah. they have to take it in trucks and dump yeah. it. And it's like, oh, ugh, that's just such a waste, but it it's is. what you have to do. You're like, we're like burning fossil fuels to literally drag frozen <laughs> water away. Exactly. And you can't put it in the, Oh, you can't drop it in the lake, which would make perfect sense yeah. because there's salt and gravel and debris and whatever. Yeah. So dog pee. They put it I in a pile that dog pee that does it. Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, I remember in dental school, they, they had first off at the, the parking garages in Minnesota. I think this includes the Mall of America. They have these giant, scary looking shafts in the middle of them. Like it's not an elevator. It's just an open shaft. And it took me a while to figure oh, out what snow. those things are. They push they push the snow down there. But like, you know, after a while, those shafts are kind of full on the first and second level, right? Like, yeah. like this giant snow wall. It's it, it's sort of crazy. 
because Minnesota gets more snow. Like Minnesota gets way more snow than than Michigan yeah. ever did. That's the one thing. Going to dental school, like we had winter in Michigan, but Minnesota gets sun for one thing. Like it's on the right side of the lake. You are too, I think. In Michigan, yes, exactly. it's just it's just cloudy for for six months straight, basically, or five months straight. Yeah, that's and, how Cleveland was. And and um and then, but Minnesota, it's it's very cold. It's much colder in Minnesota, and they get way more snow on on average than we do. But you have the benefit of on occasion you see the sun, and you're there's it gives you a little bit of hope. Where in Michigan, there's just, yeah. the sun is just just never happens in the winter. Well, that's happen. why it's so damn cold because the sun's out all the time. Mm-hmm. Which is, you know, I'm not complaining because that is one of the things I did not like about being in Cleveland on on Lake Erie. Was you know the, what I'm talking so, about? Yeah, it was uh. just great for for five months, and that was pretty awful. Well, it is. It's it's like I I mean they talk about what the seasonal affective disorder. Yeah, and in it's the thing. I think it's a thing, and I've never treated myself for it, but I, I wonder if I should because it is uh, – well, I know how I'm going to treat myself for it this year. I'm going in January 26th, 27th uh, of 2018. I'm going to Scottsdale, Arizona. I think I, – rumor had it. That's you were looking way. at yeah, – so imagine that. Imagine us being <laughs> in the same place at the same time. We're doing the Voices of Dentistry meeting. Uh, it is time for you, listener, of the Allen Meat Experience. By the way, the Allen Meat Experience has the best Facebook group in the entire world because it's like – only really people who listen to the podcast, and they can only get in with the uh, the password of Premier. I haven't changed the password yet. I may at some point or or add another password. But at this point, people are most people who are trying to get in don't know that there's a password, which tells me they don't listen to the podcast. And to that, I exactly. say exactly. So anyhow, exactly. Alan Mead Experience <laughs> listeners should definitely come to the Voice of Dentistry because I think on Thursday night we're going to try and do something. I, whether that something may just be like sitting out by the pool. And you know, having hors d'oeuvres or something. I don't. I haven't got it in plan, but I'm hoping to like that have this. That sounds like a fantastic something. <laughs> exactly right. Like how bad could that be? It's it's and as it goes, this crew probably knows each other better than even the Dental Hacks Nation crew because it's smaller, and these people have sub- submit themselves to my podcast every week. So basically, <laughs> I'm thinking that that's a really good. Th- so you should go sign up at VoicesOfDentistry.com. Rumor has it that the capital V, capital O, capital D, 100 coupon still works off works for a hundred bucks off. Uh, I think you should try that. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I, I am one of the organizers of the meeting. I, I don't know how long that's going to go. It's up in the air still. <laughs> At some point we're going to have to charge some people full price. It just makes sense. So, but, <laughs> but that it, so the voice of dentistry, that is the way I'm going to treat my seasonal affective disorder this year. That by going to like Scottsdale. A plan, actually. It does. I, I could be worse. I could have to get one of those lights and, uh, and, and sunbathe naked in my fifth operatory, which could be <laughs> horrifying for a lot of people. Or I could just go to Scottsdale. So there's that. Yeah. <laughs> Do so, your staff a favor. Exactly. Exactly. The team really doesn't need that kind of morale killer. Um, so, so basically, yeah, winter is coming, whether we like it or not. Although, like you said, I mean, it's this, it's December already and it's still, I'm not complaining. We've we had a dusting of snow like once and it was gone in two hours. Yeah. So we haven't really had anything. Exactly. And typically November, I mean, t- we've had we've had inches of snow on the ground for Halloween in the past. So this is this is crazy. Mm-hmm. Our ski hill opened, but we have no snow. So I mean, obviously it's all manufactured, but it's been cold enough to. Uh, and it was the earliest year they've opened in a really really long time. Interesting. Which is weird because there's not a drop 
anywhere else. Yeah. But it's been cold enough, yet I feel like it's warm. But I don't know. Who knows? Up north in Michigan, I know a bunch of them have done the same thing. And it's it's a basically it tells you how good their snowmaking capacity really is, right? It's like a. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think they've only got about 40% of the runs open, but my son's been out there twice. <laughs> and and uh, he said they're fine. He said it's pretty good. That's that's kind of cool. That's kind of in yeah. people. So the, the listeners in Texas are like, what are you talking about? They, the, yeah. the snowmaking. Actually, did you know that Midland, Michigan, my hometown is like one of the the like meccas for snowmaking technology? Like uh, right off the highway around Midland, you can see this giant manufacturing. Well, it's not giant, but it's a, a plant that manufactures snowmaking equipment, which is basically oh. it looks like a giant fan like you would have. Sitting on the table, and it's got a hose, a giant hose attached to it. And basically, when it's cold enough, uh, these fans jet this water out there. It chops the water in little pieces and turns into snow. It's it is not a. I mean, the technology is cool, but it's it really is essentially a giant fan. It's kind of cool though. Oh yeah, that's well, and that's what we have. I don't know if there's like different technologies. Maybe we have some Midland fans. I'll bet, on our I'll bet we do. I'll bet you do. We're kind of a giant in that area. I I should tell. I don't even know what the company's called. I I just know that they're there because you can see them from the highway. So, Alan Kegarize. Hi, I'm looking to talk to Keg. This is Keg. This Keg. is Doctor Mead. Yes, this is Alan Mead. It's nice to meet you, Keg. If you've been listening to the Alan Mead Experience for a little while, you know that Premier is the main supporter of our show. They have a lot of products that I use, and they have a lot of products that I think are really great, and I think you should use them. But something that's kind of cool about Premier is that not only do they have a bunch of great products, which they do, but they've got a bunch of great people, too. And so I wanted to take a chance to talk to you about their people a little bit. For instance, this is Alan Kegerice, always known as Keg. Is that what people call you? Am I okay to call you Keg? Absolutely. It would be awkward if you called me anything else. Now, Keg is really passionate about what he does at Premier. He makes no bones about his role. Right. I'm the um, I'm the sales guy, you know, chief BS officer. Um, I try to create a story out of the science and uh, motivate the uh, the sales team to, uh, to take that story out there and, and tell it and retell it. And you know how we're into stories at the Allen Meat Experience. I had a chance to talk with Keg for a while about a lot of different stuff, and you'll hear about it in the next few weeks. But just a cool thing, this company that's supporting this podcast is full of really interesting and cool people, and I want you to know that. Premier Dental Products, inspired solutions for daily dentistry. <laughs> this is all fine and good. We should probably talk about other stuff, though. Just saying. <laughs> So uh, many, many, many of the Alan Mead Experience listeners know, uh, I suspect all of them know, it's the worst kept secret in in everything, is that I'm a recovering person. I've been clean and sober for 15 years. Actually, next month, it'll be 16 years. So I'm going to have a, I'm going to have one of those birthdays coming up. And and, um, I've talked about it pretty openly. The, The funny thing is about, okay, so there's just some weird things that happens when people know that you're, you know, you're in recovery, you don't, you don't drink alcohol, you don't do drugs and you're, you know, you, you're clean and sober. We had my office Christmas party on Thursday here a couple days ago. And I, I had it, I have it at the country club that we, we belong to because they, the food's always terrific. They give us sort of a little private room and it's, it's sort of a, um, 
it's funny. I'm not a golfer, so a lot of times it's weird to actually belong to a country club when you don't golf. But to be honest, they have a really great pool for the kids. I yeah, sen- exactly. I essentially, we essentially pay a couple hundred dollars a month to to belong to the country club, so we can have the pool for like four months for the kids. It's worth it. It's worth that just for that. Yeah. But then there's a great restaurant we can use to, and like the nicest gym you've ever seen that I never go use. But the bottom line is it's 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 not a bad trade off for the amount that we pay as a non golfer. So the trick is to join your country club as a non golfer. Anyhow, so we we got to use this awesome room, and again, it costs nothing more because we're members, and we had my team there. We didn't have spouses there, and how do you do? Do you do you have spouses come to the parties or no? Um, we have we're ha- we have it at my house, and yeah, we do. But it was it's more of a it's kind of an informal ish thing and we, it's more of a, I don't know. We do so much with the staff, just us that, that this is, it's kind of fun. Um, I, it's casual enough that, you know, those of without a significant other, or if, if hubby stays home with the kids or something like that, it's, it's not you know, weird or whatever. Yeah. I'd say maybe half of them brought, brought their significant other. Just, and, and honestly, I like all the spouses too, but it's just like, I feel like there's so much, so much push for awkward small talk because you know it's hard to sit there and laugh about the the private jokes within the office when exactly. half the people there exactly. don't even know what the hell you're talking about and so in any case like, so oh. I've and and I mean I'm <laughs> I'm so I'm so stunted when it comes to you know parties and social events and stuff I, I I figure it just as well it was very comfortable we had a great time actually you know my dad is doing a bunch of removable for me in my office now oh, so we, so we my mom and dad were there too which was cool a little like I said probably less swearing but generally more than it was a, it was great. He was he was kind of the life of the party actually, which was kind of fun. Oh, fun! <laughs> um, and uh, so we had a good time. But and I think a couple people had a glass of wine or something like that. But I always wonder if people are looking out for me. I mean, if they are, God bless them, right? Like I'm glad they don't yeah. need to. But I think sometimes they feel like now. Interestingly, my dad had a glass of wine, and typically he's the one that's looking out for me. So either he's made some milestones, or he's figured out oh, 15 years. If he's going to blow it, he's going to blow it. I don't know. But uh, yeah, you know what's funny is because I I have never once, you know what I mean. Like I, I, you're so solid in your recovery that it's never, you know. We, I mean, we've known each other probably twelve years. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I mean, honestly, you weren't that far clean when we met. Yeah, when we first like, I think when we first met in person, it was when I bet it was at Coys. um, It was was in in Seattle, and it was uh, you and. I don't think Frank was there that weekend. Frank was, was not there. It was, it was me, you Scott and Brent and Scott, and 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 you guys let me tag along. I was sitting further forward, and you guys were having all the fun in the back. Yeah, we were in the back row. <laughs> you <laughs> were know, in the second and, row. <laughs> and if if you haven't experienced Coy's, the the Coy's Center, yeah, that was two thousand five. So if we do the math here, okay. we're working on God thirteen years ago when we uh, that's that's insane for one thing because yeah. I should, and I've been back. I was at the Coy Center to to interview John Coy's Jr. not that long ago, but I didn't get to. I didn't go into the classroom. Um, I but kind of the back room, and it is. It's really cool. It's it's um, it is all set up for delivering dental continuing education. It's very. It's such a cool experience. The whole and it's like in a really hip part of of Seattle. It's very cool. I I can't I can't tell you enough that it's it's. I only took the one course. I didn't follow through. Did you, did you take more after that? I took uh, I took four of them total. Did you really good for you? Was there ever a hands on there? Um, not that I took. I there might have been. I well, the, I think I, I interviewed John Junior in another classroom that was smaller, and it had like it had like they had 
articulators and handpieces out. So I think they do give some oh, workshops okay. like that. Well, but, and they do some continuum that isn't necessarily taught by John. Right, right. They have like a bunch they have of, that of, kind of stuff. yeah. It's it's a. I mean, honestly, I can't say. And frankly, you know, spear education is also pretty spectacular. I would argue maybe that Coys is a little less corporate now than Spear is, um, which is funny because Coys everything was very well thought out <laughs> when we were, oh, you, yeah. you, you go in there and, and, and literally did, I don't know if I told you, did I tell you the licorice story at, at Coy's? So no. remember that you'd have a break and they'd go and, and his, his, the place is really decked out nicely. And I mean, it, it's, it's like very fancy, but they had this, you know, they had a coffee bar and they had drinks and they had snacks and all this stuff. And I was at some point, someone asked me about like, you know, my favorite food, and I was joking, like, oh, my gosh, I'd kill someone for licorice or whatever. The next break, there was no licorice there. The next break that I came out, there was licorice there. Now, that's how yeah. service-oriented Coy's is. Like, they, yeah. I remember he was, like, required reading for the, the class was Raving Fans, which is a really interesting yep. book if you haven't read Raving Fans. I'll put a link in the show notes. And he was really talking about Raving Fans a lot then. And, and Raving Fans is the kind of thing where – that's the sort of thing you would do. You would you would get licorice because you overheard someone said they really like licorice, and and that is the kind. And, and and they and you're not even asking for credit. You're just doing it because you know that that, yeah. that you overheard that. And I'm like, okay, that's the way that they sort of treat you at Coys. God, talking about this makes me want to go back and take more Coys. This is so funny. Well, I, one of the one of the things that we did because we went back there several times mm-hmm. is we would. Cause you could put requests, you know, like they, they, on the form, it had requests there. Now you're going to tell me, now you're going to tell me that Scotty overheard me and put the request in for me and it was nope. not no, as no, no, magical. No, 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 <laughs> it's on the registration. No, it's on the registration. So it said, you know, things, things that would make your experience better or whatever, whatever. So that was sort of the, the competition between I put the strippers down and, and there were no strippers kind of disappointed. No. Just saying. <laughs> but we would put different foods and different drinks and we would put funny things on there. And Scotty is the one that did it. He said he wanted a, a framed picture of Jennifer Aniston on yeah. his deck. <laughs> and they did it. And yes, they did. That's so funny. That's, yes, I mean, they did. And that's... they had, they would put the weird drinks and the weird snacks and they would, whatever we put down, it showed up and it was hilarious. We would just see who could come up with the, the oddest thing and, um, a, you know, kind of a weird snack and they would hunt it down and have it there. I love that though. I mean, to be honest, and you know that they were, they were, they saw Scott's name and they probably figured they were. Oh gonna, yeah. They, they knew, they, they knew, knew we were doing it yeah. and they did it on purpose. Yeah. They had frame pictures of, they had a frame picture of Jennifer Aniston and I, I feel like they put one in the bathroom too, but I'm pretty sure it was just <laughs> at his desk. Which, which tells me that they have a sense of humor about it all too. You oh, know, you sure. could you could argue sure. like, oh, that's really expensive. CE, you're paying for that. I'm like, well, you you are paying for that a little bit. You know, they don't they don't make any bones about what they're charging, but they they no, also, I mean, it goes without saying, it's as good as it gets. <laughs> you know, like like yep. it, like as far as CE goes, it's it is top tier. There's nothing much better than that, and I love that actually, which is so funny. I did not know we we're going to talk about this, but now I'm like, God, I I should probably go back there. Not to mention the fact that I've been in the Seattle Tacoma area a bunch of times for all the BioClear courses. And interestingly, yeah. I'm not sure if I'm really allowed to say this, but apparently uh, Dr. David Clark actually has shown uh, Dr. John Coy Sr. the bio, Like he's taught him the BioClear method. So, so apparently Coy does know <laughs> right. about this. And how cool is it that they're both in Seattle Tacoma area? Yeah. Right? I, I oh, did drive definitely. between the two places. It's a ways. And Seattle, with Seattle traffic, it's literally the same thing as hell as far as I'm concerned. But, yeah. but, uh, but it was yeah, both are great ce destinations fantastic stuff so anyhow but uh, that was an aside but like the idea for instance 
I was 2005, so I had been sober for like three years, clean and sober for three mm-hmm. years. That's I was thought. relatively new at that point. And it was never, I never felt like, I might have been a little more fragile then, but I, I wasn't making a big deal out of it. And and, and it, for whatever reason, I might have been, I might be, um, I was a teetotaler before I, before I turned 21. Like, that's not quite true. I drank a couple times my junior year of college, but I had, I literally really didn't drink to speak of. Um, like mm-hmm. I didn't in college where everyone is drinking all the time underage. I really didn't. Right. But I did dental school. I caught up, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, like, yes. like I was the guy that, that, you know, my excuse to go drinking was, well, it's Tuesday night. You know, was, I, I did not need an excuse, you know, and that's, and it was because I had zero coping mechanisms for the stresses of dental school. So that, that, right. that's, um, that's sad. Cause, cause college wasn't hard for me prior to that. Like, like in right. undergrad, I, I didn't struggle with college. It was not like academically I was underwater or anything like that, but she just dental school is like drinking from a fire hose and I didn't have any way to cope with it. So, and I did right. interestingly too, I, I, this, this has something to do with it that I never really, I never really put two and two together. I have, I had great friends in dental school, good people. But when I went to Minnesota, I didn't know a soul. I did not, mm-hmm. I did not have a friendly aunt to go to her house and like just kind of relax. And I didn't know anyone. Like the only people I knew were people I met from dental school. So like my entire, my entire existence in Minnesota had everything to do with dentistry. Like I didn't have any out from dentistry. <laughs> All of my relationships right. were from dental right. school. I don't know if that affected it or not, but like if I had gone to the university of Michigan, I literally had grandparents and like four aunts within 20 minutes of where I was. And honestly, yeah. home was two hours. You know, like I, I could have had like a little bit more of a support group. I had a great support group with friends, but it wasn't the same as just being able to like go away from it. You know, having, right, having right. parents, having parents around, having, I think having parents around in particular is helpful. Like mm-hmm. when I was a junior in college, I marched in the marching band all four years. When I was a junior, my parents came down to see every home football game when I was a junior, right? That's six hours one way to see me. And that's how like my parents were there, would have been there to support me. It was just Minnesota was, right. was 12 and a half hours away, you know? So uh, it's, it was tough. Yeah. It was tough. What do you thoughts on thoughts on all this stuff? Well, you know, I mean, once you're kind of, I, I don't know, I was kind of thinking as you're talking, because I, you know, I did the same thing. I, I moved to Cleveland. I had no one uh, at Is all. Is that right? Okay. I didn't and, know that. Yeah. I was married at the time and my husband was a, a resident mm-hmm. in, in internal medicine. So mm-hmm. I'd see him, you know, every third day for a few hours kind mm-hmm. of a thing. So I had none. And because he was a resident, I lived a little bit off campus. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, I mean, there was nobody around me. Actually, the thing that helped me was we had a, uh, we lived in one of those uh, upper lower kind of places and the owners of the house were the ones that lived downstairs. Oh, nice. Okay. And she was, they owned a restaurant and she was from this big, huge Italian family and they own an Italian restaurant down in downtown Cleveland. And she would just, she would bring me food and she would just talk. And so it was, I mean, she was like literally the only person I talked. Oh yeah. It kind of was. Cause man, nothing's better than somebody going, Hey, you want some meatballs? I'm like, yeah. Oh yeah, my actually, God. <laughs> oh my God. That would be a yeah, game she would bring me little tubs of food and yeah, they wouldn't have been able to get rid of me. I'm telling you what, that's, oh my gosh. <laughs> Well, and they had two little boys that were just hilarious and they were, they were just so cute, cutest little kids ever. And it was just, it was really nice. I think they are, and I've kind of lost touch with them after a while they moved and stuff, but, um, it was a huge part of me kind of getting into 
you know, feeling less homesick and less whatever, you know, about being there. I love dental school. I, I, that part was great, but it was just like, I had no, I had no social circle other than the, the folks at dental school, but you know, it's kind of a little, I was married. It's kind of a little different circle. Yeah. Oh yeah. I don't live on campus. And, and, and frankly, I was the opposite. I didn't want to go out drinking every night. Mm-hmm. I was, you know, I was a little bit more of a homebody kind of person. You were, so, but you had actually, you were a non-traditional student. You weren't just well, out of college. You'd worked for a couple yeah, of years. Yeah, I was five years out. Okay. Okay. So that, that also gives a different perspective. Yeah. Being married, I always thought would have been, you know, that's a huge advantage too, because you can't continue to be married and not pay any attention to your spouse at all. Basically, that that gives you this locus outside of dental stuff as well. I always felt well, like, on paper you can continue to be married. I, I understand. I understand. I understand. <laughs> I mean, but actually, as a medical resident too, that actually yeah. those two things added up to not a lot of FaceTime. I'm sure of that, but but Correct. I mean, at least arguably, you there was. What's really funny too is that you could say, okay, there's someone outside of dentistry, but okay, so he's in medicine. So there's it, there were enough similarities that. Uh, that yeah, that wouldn't have worked as well. I would have wanted someone who was like, um, taught in the English department or something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Completely separate florist. from biomedical <laughs> anything would be great. Yeah, florist would be good. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, so I mean, that's I. Your coping mechanisms were different. You had. I. I will say that nothing's really gonna. Nothing's really gonna trump the the Italian restaurant owner downstairs. That's probably that would be the best coping mechanism ever. Yeah, that was that was pretty good. I might have to, that that story might be stolen from now on. That's pretty that's pretty great. That's pretty fantastic. I had no idea. So, <clears throat> but like since since then, this is coming way back from where we started. Like there, like I said, I think my dad had a, a glass of wine. I have no idea if anyone had alcohol. I don't. I didn't really check the bill, and I didn't remember anyone. So it wasn't like it was some drunken mess of a party. Anyhow, if there if there right. was, it wasn't a lot. My suspicion is my, my team all knows. I mean, quite literally, the ones that didn't officially know that because they weren't there for when it happened. We, <laughs> they right. all they all came to a presentation we did last year at the Michigan Dental Association, where where literally my team was talking about what it was like to work with a doc in addiction. This is we're yeah. pretty open. Let's just <laughs> we're pretty open yeah. about this. Yeah. Like like, and it was like a, a sold out house. People listening to, oh yeah. my gosh, I can't believe that this is. So, so like in a way it's, it, it has benefited me significantly to be this open about it. But, but also I always wonder if that affects people's choices around me because they don't want to, you know, I, you know, I wish everyone would choose like after they've had their first little, you know, walk into drinking, I kind of wish everyone would choose not to drink, not because it affects me at all, but because no one knows that, (laughs) that they're going to be an alcoholic until it's too late. Like no one ever picks right. no no one ever picks up the beer in college and says, "Well, I hope that this is going to wreck my life." Let's go to it. Everyone thinks that it's exactly. going to happen to someone else. You don't know you're going to have the problem with it until it's kind of too late, you know. Well, and obviously, you know, someone who is reaching for beer as a, like you said as a coping me- mechanism is going to be the last one to realize mm-hmm. that that's what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Oh, I never did. I never did. I mean, yeah. if someone yeah. had pointed it out to me, before, because I, I will tell you that I I drank like an alcoholic in dental school, but I don't think I had a problem with alcohol in the same way that I did. I, I mean, I moved to pills soon after I started practicing dentistry. Um, it, you know, yeah. after I got out of dental school, but in a way, I know that I got my start with alcohol, and heaven only knows I drank like an alcoholic when I did drink. And my mm-hmm. wife reminds I, I tend to not when I tell my story, I tend to not think of alcohol as being a part of it because I didn't. Right. 
alcohol is kind of a social thing in a lot of ways. Except for me, it wasn't because yeah. my wife reminds me of all the beer. I for whatever reason, because in Michigan they have the ten cent returnable rule, so you don't throw them out. Okay, but but I was as living in an apartment as a bachelor, I, I also didn't necessarily go return them very often. So like I had yeah. cabinets full of empties that okay. that somehow never registered with me. Like wow, I drink a lot of beer. It was ne- never really yeah, registered yeah. with me. That I, don't <laughs> I just know, got three hundred dollars from the return center. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> no, I never that never really registered with me. Um, and only now, in did retrospect. you continue your drinking when you were taking the pills or no? Did that like, if, if you go took, down if, as... okay, if you took, I rarely did. If you drank while you were taking okay. pills, um, they're synergistic badly. Like I remember yeah, at a, we- would... at a wedding, I took a bunch of pills and then I drank there and I, I, I didn't, I wasn't a throw up drunk typically. And I totally threw up there. I mean, like I was sick, really sick out in the parking lot. It could have been a lot worse, but like I kind of realized you can't mix those or I couldn't mix those. I know there's people that did, but you can't mix those cause they don't go well together. Um, what a stupid thing. I'm just remembering that thing. Cause I'm sure that I told her, Oh, I must have the flu or something, you know, give me a break. Yeah. But the other thing you don't want to mix yeah, he gets the flu a lot. <laughs> yeah, Like all the time, that guy. Um, yeah. the other thing, like I tried a little of everything and I remember one thing that you don't want to mix. Oh my God, you don't want to mix. I don't know if it'll kill you, but it will, it will, it's like you're in a whole different world is like muscle relaxants, like flexoral or soma along with this drug, the hydrocodone as that was scary. Like if there's ever such a thing as a bad trip, that was it for me. Like, whoa, really? not good. Yeah. And me, you know, my thing was, I was such a garbage head. I knew that I was going to be out of what I wanted, which was hydrocodone. I knew I was going to be out of that at some point. So I kind of wanted to have other stuff around to fall back on until I was okay. going to get more of the good stuff. And so diazepam Valium was always, this is, this is how I know that diazepam is a very safe drug <laughs> because I tested the limits, you know, like, and, and it was the worst that ever happened was I, I, you know, I fell asleep, you know, I, I napped yeah. longer than I would have. It was and they do say it's it's not safe to withdraw from by any means, but it's it's a you know these benzos are really pretty safe. It's hard to overdose on them if not impossible. Um, so, but those are things also you don't really want to mix. But I always had that around because that seemed like something that would be a legit thing to have in a dental office. The other thing I I used a lot was nitrous. I was a nitrous guy too, and nitrous okay. was, nitrous is hard because you can't. It's not really social. You have to be hooked up to a tank, you know. So it's. Yeah. it's, it's <laughs> People look at you funny. When yeah, you're they do. When you've got job. that hose on your face, they kind of go, "Well, that's interesting." But um, I found that nitrous was really uh, was when I was in withdrawal from the opiates. The nitrous would take it away immediately, like that. But of course, as soon as you got off the nitrous, you were sick again. You know, right it's back. like a. Um, but nitrous is scary because, like, I literally did when I got clean. I had the tingling fingers and stuff. Like, I had some of that neuropathy because I used okay. enough nitrous. Now that apparently it's reversible because I don't have that now, but. But I mean, I, I remember, you know, I had the mobile tanks at my office. Mm-hmm. What a what a horrible! That was horribly inefficient if you wanted to use nitrous because you'd huff through those things in no time flat, you know, because they're tiny little tanks. Where the uh, I at my dad's office, they had big tanks, so I would go over there when I was going to do nitrous. I was, I had my plan. I, it's a little sick to talk about it like this, but it's so that's pretty much how it worked out, you know. It's it's you know what though, it's not though because it, I mean, I think that helps. I, I, in my mind, it's, it's talking about that kind of stuff because if, if, you know, when people talk about the end result, like, well, you know, I was uh, meeting the UPS guy at, at other yeah. locations yeah. for 300 pills that is not relatable to some people cause they're not there yet. Yeah. Yeah. 
but but having a plan so you're saying you so you're saying the ups thing was <laughs> was a bridge too far huh? no <laughs> no no not at all but i, I mean I'm that's teasing. you know those people are going to get there it very 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 quickly but i think that 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 having a plan for when you run out i would think would be one of the very first yeah. like actual clues that some people yeah. might be able interesting to do. i hadn't thought you know about what I mean? that yeah cuz in it and the other thing is, is a lot of times I didn't have a plan and had lots of regrets that I didn't. That's when I would get into the more desperation moves. But then right, you know, right. realizing that I was planning ahead because I knew that I knew this, like the the voice that you wanted to believe was that, oh yeah, this is going to last for a while, but it never did. You know, never, never did. Right. So I, I started literally, I would ignore that voice and then <laughs> I would, I would right. plan. I would, you know, so I would buy from different places. So it didn't look like I was buying as much as, as it turns out, I don't think anyone would have cared. None of the, none of the supply houses ever, ever checked on me at all. Um, right. Right. So, well, and, and desperation, I would think, you know, could be very easily justified in someone's mm -hmm. mind. Like, Oh my God, what, you know what I would, I should have had enough, but you know, it's so-and-so was really stressful and this, you know, and I, I would think it'd be really easy to sort of explain away to yourself yeah. Oh, um, totally. Totally. But, but the plan thing, I just feel like the plan is the next step. That's very like true. Planning for it. It's very I don't true. know. That's my, and you know, I spent a lot of time thinking about it. What, what's crazy. What's crazy is like, clearly the, the drugs, when you took enough of them, when you were like me and I clearly have a chemistry where that this affects me, but like the euphoria of the, the, when the drug was in effect, I mean, I definitely, it made me feel great. I love being high, but you know what? the chase was part of it after a while too. Like I would feel right. uh, the, the most awesome feeling in the world, like Christmas every single day, like the greatest, you know, whatever your greatest time of your life is, was, was when I had enough that I knew I was going to last me for a couple of days. Like literally it was like the, it, I mean, to the point where I think about it now, I'm like, that is, I, that is so sick. But just the, the comfort of knowing I was going to have enough that I didn't have to like chase around for a little while. You yeah. Know? Like there, there was this just absolute sick joy and comfort knowing that I was good to go for whatever. It's just, I, I look back, it's super sad. Like it's been so long since that that's been there, but it doesn't take any time at all to fall right back into. I remember thinking that way. Like when I would score, I would score from a pharmacy. Um, mm -hmm. Like literally I hadn't taken any, but the withdrawal symptoms were already going away. Now, how crazy is that? Right? Like, like just knowing yeah. that I had some and already that my nose wasn't running and I wasn't, you know, I wasn't, oh my God, it's crazy. So I, I think some of it has to be, psych, you know, psychosomatic, right? It's just like, oh, that was right. nuts. Well, and I had read that, that you can actually, you can actually physically get the withdrawal symptoms and still like, like for alcohol, you can actually start experiencing symptoms and still blow a 1.0. Yeah, still, still have yeah, it in your system. No, that's right. Point one zero. Yeah, no, I, I believe that. I believe that because yeah. what's amazing with alcoholism, I mean, with everything, let's be honest. But um, your body, the reason people have such trouble with their liver is because your body just says, "Okay, this is normal now. This is it's yep. normal that we have this much alcohol on board. So we just got to we just got to get serious. So the so the enlarging of the liver is in, is yeah, it's pathological but it's also like yeah but we got to filter all this alcohol out you know like it's hey yeah. we're just doing our we're job right? you know? <laughs> exactly and and i mean so in some senses it's like your body just changes that way and the, i mean and that is the same thing because i had such a high tolerance for for opiates that um it's frustrating to me because like i i look back and i'm like you know 
anyone, if I had died, if I had overdosed and died, they'd have thought I'd have tried to commit suicide because I had so much on board, right? They'd have thought right. I took, and then I'm like, no, that was like, that was just a regular day. You know, that's just, that's just how much I needed to get high, you know, and, and I always told myself I was only going to take enough so I wouldn't be sick and that never, <laughs> never worked. If I had right. enough, I was always going to get, so, so my doses were just ridiculous, you know, and, and, and worse than that, I still, I, you know, I, the, the other shoe could still drop on my liver, by the way, like that, that who knows what kind of long-term damage I did to my liver. Well, that's what I was bit. wondering is like how, how, I don't know, I, I, what kind of studies and, and do, do, does anybody know, or is it so individual? Um, I mean, cause obviously, I mean, you can cut off half your liver and it, it's, you're fine. It, it grows back. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm but, hoping that I'm hoping that 15 years, uh, <laughs> off of ridiculous amounts of acetaminophen have have done me okay i've not when i have liver function tests they're no, they're normal i mean they're not bad um but okay. i I'm, i always wonder to myself like gal is this going to spring on me later you know it's and I, I would have earned it that's for sure i mean uh if there's the the way that i was doing it but but I, the guy that ran the treatment center that i was in had a theory and i'm sure that it was just a theory i don't know if he had any kind of evidence at all but he's he's convinced that that there's some people have the genes for a um for for something that can catalyze uh, acetaminophen so it's not poisonous because there were so many people that would come through his treatment center that some people had livers that were completely burned out and some people like me were fine. I, like literally after my last gigantic dose they took blood you know they did a medical workup on me or anything like that and I my, my liver right. enzymes were slightly raised slightly you know one of these things where right. I've been I've been burning through you know, such incredibly high amounts of acetaminophen, I should have been dead. And, and like, I was slightly, so, so what's that all about? Like, like why? And he, so he was convinced that there were just some people that, that, that it didn't affect the same. And that, that sometimes the pill takers like me were one of the, who knows, man, that's a, what a crazy thing. Yeah. This yeah. sort of, this sort of drives but, me. I mean, I'd buy that. I mean, you know, cause really seriously, when you get to the level of what you were consuming, I would think that the the Tylenol would have gotten to you before. Yeah, exactly. Right? Before the addiction could get that big. I mean, like my my ex husband's brother attempted suicide in college, and he he took Tylenol. He took a whole bottle of Tylenol, mm-hmm. and he was in the hospital for a really long time because his liver was not functioning, and it was a one time thing. Um, you know, I don't know that he had a, a whatever this you know is that metabolizes it. You know, because I and I guarantee he didn't take he didn't have as much in his system as, as you know, long-term use people do. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I wouldn't, I would totally subscribe to that theory. I don't know. It may, maybe, maybe this, uh, maybe because I did it for so long for so often, like the, just, I, my body just figured out that in self-defense. I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's, wa- yeah. it's wacky when you think about it, but you know, okay, this is, this is funny that we're talking about this because the other thing is, is like, <laughs> this is so sick to say it this way, but, but like I was in opiate crisis before it was cool to be an opiate crisis, right? Like I know you were a leader. I, I was definitely I was ahead of the curve on that. I am so frustrated with with the quote unquote opioid crisis. Now I'm I'm not I'm not saying that it doesn't exist. Um, but I mean I was <laughs> I was in treatment with a bunch of people who were doing stupid shit like I was. Okay, so so yeah. I mean like I'm not convinced that the opiate crisis just started you know two years before Trump was in office, right? Like I'm. I understand yeah. that 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 what's happened is is the availability is so much easier and and so the story is like the it's the drug of choice has switched to opiates because of availability and and cheap heroin and all this stuff I get it like there's lots of sociological stuff but and and 
doctors. They're, they're basically, the, the opiate crisis has been blamed squarely on doctors right now. And, and I mean, like, I'm, I guess I get it. Um, I'm tired of hearing about the news stories that dentists have done this. It's all because of wisdom. Yeah, because that's, and- that's bullshit, frankly. But I had a patient the other day, though, and he was and he was he was ticked at the pharmacist. I gave he he had legitimate pain and swelling, and I very very rarely prescribe pain meds because I don't feel like they really achieve anything. I will, I will go with a medrol dose pack yeah. oh, any yeah. day, oh, every yeah. day. Yeah. Um, because that's what I feel we need. When we those, when those to- work well too, like first off, yeah. especially when, when you've given it after someone's had no resolution from anything else, those are like, those are like wonder like drugs. It is. It's like yeah. a miracle. And, and it's fast too. Like, like really fast, yep. like an hour turnaround said, Oh my God, I'm like, I'm fine now. And I was dying an hour. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yes. Yes. And, but I had, so the, the kid, you know, he had this oh, kid. I, I don't know when I started calling 28 year olds kids, but anyway, um, he had, uh, he had legitimate pain. He had swelling in the anterior. We were trying to bring it down and, um, I gave him about I think 12 Tylenol number threes Yep, and they, which worked, is garbage, by the way, I'm sorry, go ahead for a real, know, for a real opiate connoisseur. That is absolute garbage, but go ahead. Yeah. That's, that's like an appetizer. It is not so, even. Yeah. You know, and, and I, and, you know, it was, and he was only taking one every six hours. So, you know, four days later on a three day prescription, he asked for some more and I gave him some more and the pharmacist refused to fill it because he's it never soon. had any pain meds filled. He's like, I was so mad. He goes, I actually ended up going to another pharmacy. He goes, now that's going to flag me. Yeah, no, said, it will I for sure. I ended up going to another Walgreens because this guy was being such a dick about. But I would um, say he took that appropriately. He didn't take it too fast. Like, right. I mean, yeah, did, he did. No, he did. It was, you know, it was one every four to six hours is what I prescribed it at. And he was taking it every six. Mm-hmm. So he had, you know, he was done in, in four days. What tech on paper I had written for three days worth mm-hmm. yet on. Yet I have other people that I th- go into the drug monitoring program and they're getting 180 oxycodone a month mm-hmm. and they won't fill my guys 18 Tylenol threes. Yeah. You know, it's like, come on. It is, it is weird. And I know pharmacists are feeling pretty stung on this deal too, um, because they're, you know, they're, they're looking at everything supposedly, but here's my thing. I think, I think opiates have an appropriate use for pain. I, I think that right. it is, it is acute pain, like very mm-hmm. acute pain. In other words, three days worth. And then if that three days isn't enough, another three days worth. And that's probably about it. Yep. Like you're, you're after that's that point. Did, and that's know? what, that's what all dentists do. Or, or I would argue yep. most dentists, if you're not doing that and you get flagged, then I think it's legit. If you're giving out, but here's the thing. Let's talk about orthopedic surgeons who do these horrible, horrible surgeries on people and send them essentially they're outpatient surgeries practically they're literally you know they're replacing a knee hammering with a sledgehammer on the people they have them walking the next you know four hours and they send them home on the second day with the two you know giant bottles of opiates and say hey good luck you know tell me how physical therapy works i'm thinking to myself if a doctor can create addiction in someone that's how they're going to do it you know it's going to be that it's not going to be it's not going to be in any case i I mean like (laughs) My best friend's an oral surgeon, and they they would have preprinted scripts, and all of the preprinted yep. scripts were, were for like regular Vicodin, which were five milligrams of hydrocodone, twelve tablets, no yep. refills. And I'm thinking to myself, if I had my wisdom teeth out, that 
even now, I'm not sure that would be enough. You know what I'm saying? Like I, so like, yeah, you can't blame it on the wisdom tooth guys. I, I'm sorry. Maybe there are no. some, but, but if there are, they're the irresponsible ones. You can't say all of us do that because this is not true. But on top of that fact, I think the thing that frustrates me the most about the opioid, but if you, if you listen closely to the news media and people who are, who want to talk about quote unquote effective treatment, when you dig in, you realize what they're talking about is methadone. That's, that's what they're talking about for effective treatment. All of them are really down on treatment centers that, that kind of focus around 12-step groups. And I get it. I, I know that I know all the arguments against 12-step groups because 12-step groups are, you know, are spiritual or, you know, religious. They're, they're, technically, they're not. But I get it. I mean, there's a lot of talk of God. There's a lot of bottom line is, I mean, like, I, I believe in 12-step groups for a completely different reason than, than what everyone else. 12-step groups are awesome because you, you build a peer group of people that are arguably trying to do the same thing that you are. Exactly. I mean, that, and that's that's really how they work. And and I mean, you could call it something else, and you could talk about hockey instead of spirituality if you wanted to. But if you're all there because right. you're trying to stop taking dope, it's going to work. You know, as long as people exactly. aren't taking dope, they're going to. So in any case, but I'm frustrated that like ugh, if people aren't even given the chance to do that, like I think to myself, okay, so I'm I'm 15 exactly. years clean and sober. Can can I imagine what my life would be if I still had to go? to a methadone clinic every morning to get my dose. So I wasn't, I didn't go into withdrawal. Withdrawal, right. withdrawal sucks. Trust me. I, I was there. I mean, like I was, I yep. had, I had diarrhea for four months, you know, after I got clean, simple as that. I was basically in withdrawal forever. And I knew a lot about withdrawal because I was out of stuff as much as I was in stuff when I was using. So I get it. It sucks. Right. That is not reason enough to be on methadone for 15 right. years, the rest of your life. And that is, they, well, they and talk about like, it being a chronic treatment. It's a chronic, you just will just have yeah. to take methadone for the rest of your life instead of going through withdrawal. Give me a break. That's a, that's like the tip of the iceberg for what addiction actually is. It frustrates me. Well, and doesn't, you know, I mean, like, I feel like withdrawal is almost a necessary consequence to, this is going to sound weird when it comes out. It's in my head, right? But it's not coming out right. That withdrawal may very well keep people from going back to it because it it's so awful. It could. It could. But arguably, you know, what, what makes you an addict is not having to go through withdrawal. Honestly, like you right. can be, no, no, you no, can no, be no, in no. the hospital and actually become dependent on the stuff because you've had horrible injuries and they have to wean you off it and you kind of go through withdrawal. So the story is it's, right. it's the fact that you would continue to keep doing this even though you've had horrible consequences, whether that's, right. you know, a DUI or your family's left you or, you can, you know, like – so the reality is, like, our brains are kind of messed up. It might, it might be enough for some people to just have to go through withdrawal. My thing is is that a lot of people, I would say these people who think that methadone is a, an effective treatment, uh, there's going to be a lot of people that probably disagree with me on this, but I, I just, having having been through the experience and, and, like, the kind of life that I can lead now because I just don't have any of that to deal with right now, right. Um, I, right. Can't, I can't imagine you wouldn't want someone to aim for that. And they're saying, oh, well, you know, it's, it's just like, it's like HIV. You're just going to be on HIV drugs for the rest of your life or, or type two diabetes. Right. You know, you're just, it's just going to be something you'll just have to deal with. But I'm, I'm, I would argue that if you have to take methadone and if you miss your dose, you go into a horrible withdrawal, even if you've been away from, I just don't, that's no kind of life as far as I'm concerned. I can't, I can't oh, believe I that that's the goal. That's, I can't believe that that's yeah. the goal. We've got a methadone clinic here and I was, I can't remember who it was I was talking to, but their office is right across the street from them. Mm-hmm. And they they met up with one of the people that worked at the methadone clinic. And I'm not in a big town. We've got a, yeah. a town of 38,000. And there are 850 people a day that yeah. go to the methadone clinic in our town. Yeah. 
Yeah. Every single morning they go get methadone. And those are the people that are, you know, trying to stay clean. Now, she also said that then around the corner, a whole bunch of them, they get their methadone to kind of keep them stable. And then they go get high around the corner. Uh, yeah. So, you know, it's I don't I don't know. It, it just I, I, I'm in real agreement with you. It, I think it there's smart a, people that can make a good argument for methadone. My thing is like, right. I, but but I don't I think. I never would say that it should. We should aim for that as being the. I mean, methadone while you're doing some serious, serious cognitive therapy kind of stuff. Right. Maybe. Maybe. Right. Um. To cut. Uh, to cut. Treatment centers out because they sort of base themselves on the twelve steps. Versus, I don't know. I just feel like there's probably a better way. I certainly don't have the solution right this moment. But it's frustrating. It frustrates me to no end. When people act as if this is some kind of, and I can say this from someone, I am, I brought this up and, uh, you know, actually I'll tell you what, the, the, there's a podcast called, called the weeds, the Vox podcast called the weeds. And there's one now called the impact. They're very well done. Super, the weeds and, and Vox, all that they're super liberal. If you're political, they're super liberal, but they're smart and they're fun to listen to. But I went on their Facebook page and, and was kind of railing against, um, uh, railing against this treatment, um, method mm-hmm. and and oh my gosh they yelled me down they said you're just an n of one you know you can't hope that everyone can do it i'm like yeah but but you know what let them fail at it a little bit first like let them yeah, let them, let them like not I, make it you know instead of saying okay this is hey welcome to your life you have to go to a methadone clinic once a day every day for the rest of your life or you're going to go and withdraw what a nightmare yeah. like are these people are these people employed can they hold down a job can they have a life right, I don't, exactly. maybe, maybe they can i don't know i really i should probably dig into it i guarantee you saginaw has a methadone clinic somewhere i could talk to people i don't know um, oh yeah because i mean obviously you know but but think about it for you know i feel like methadone takes the responsibility for your recovery i feel like it takes some of it away it takes a lot of it away and that's my you point know, i i don't feel like i can say this without making people angry at me but the the problem with the way the media is treating the opioid crisis now is that that the actual person who's addicted has no responsibility at all. I'm exactly and and you know that that inability to deal with things and inability to cope on some level has to do with a lot of it and you know or taking responsibility. I mean, I just feel like it's they're not getting to the root of why they started the problem anyway. So are they really Completely. are they really getting better? Are they really you know, addressing some of those issues. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, don't know. I, I laugh because like so many people, when I've been in treatment and meetings and stuff, they, they can always justify why they started. A lot of times it was an injury and they get, or, or whatever. And, and I laugh. I'm like, I'm so grateful for the fact that it was, to me, it was clear as day. I like getting high. That's why I started. <laughs> like, like yeah. I started cause it was there and I couldn't drink cause people would smell it on me. That's why, you know, it was like, right. it was like one of these things where it was so blatantly obvious why I was doing. It. I, I never had an injury that I took it for. I never. Had, I'm sure it would have worked great had I had an injury, but let's be honest, that's not why I was doing it. And I honestly, I sometimes look back and go, maybe that's why I was able to do as well as I did right off the bat because I didn't really have anything to fall back on. I didn't. I couldn't point this and going, well, if this only this hadn't happened, I wouldn't have gotten in this kind of trouble. I'm like, Pfft. right. <laughs> I was. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> clearly, it was me liking to get high and not having any kind of a coping mechanism to get around, and so. It, right. that, that's what frustrates me at this point. Like the medical, uh, you know, media and all this there, they want to make sure that they can blame this on someone when in reality, people aren't coping very well and they're getting high. And if they weren't getting high, they'd probably right. be getting drunk. You know, it, well, how does it make it any different people, than alcohol? The people given the opinions aren't people that have actually been there no, I know. for the most part, you know, 
I agree. I'm not, and I'm not sure that it's fair to only you know take the opinion of someone who's been there. But I would say this: I think no. my life would be so different if if that was the kind of treatment that it ended up being handed to me. For one thing, I'm I'm fairly certain they don't let someone with a a, a license, a medical license, like do that. Because I mean, there's so much right. risk of overdose. I mean, essentially, you are taking an opiate. It's just one that doesn't get you as high. You know, it's a. Exactly. It just, just seems exactly. like so. So much You're of what. Still what's... under the influence. <laughs> yeah, I guess technically, I, I'm not. I'm not throwing throwing anyone under the bus for it. But I'm just like, no, no, I, I'm no, so no. glad that I'm so glad that that was never a consideration for like literally never was a consideration at all. I don't think it was for anyone in the treatment center I was in. But I was in with a bunch of medical people, you know, who were. Well, arguably a lot of us were trying to, you know, protect our licenses so we could go back to it, you know, and, and it was just, okay. so, so we kind of just, when you were doing it well, you just, <laughs> they gave you lots of orders and you just did it. <laughs> you just, cause you, yeah. cause you knew that like, that was one thing like recovery. I'd love to say that it was just because recovery was so great and, and that I just knew what I wanted and everything was perfect that I did, but no, my license was in trouble. I was I could have yeah. lost my dental license. So they literally yeah. had the stick. I mean, they had a carrot too, but yeah. there was a stick there. <laughs> yeah. There was a stick over my head. And I'm not saying yeah. that's the only reason I did well, but it didn't hurt that I, that I knew that there were consequences that I really wanted to avoid. And I I have to say that it, I think treatment outside of that is tougher. Like like yeah. I I almost feel like regular people if they had some kind of a stick like that along with the carrot, they'd be more focused because I remember, I remember literally like the treatment center I went to, there were two phases of treatment. The one was intensive therapy. We were just in group therapy like all day and, and going to meetings, which was great. But then we did what was called mirroring therapy. And so we literally went out as, as sort of, we were like, we were like uh master students in recovery. I still only had like two and a half months clean or whatever, but so we go out to another treatment center where they were newer, fresher, you know, basically arguably less wealthy people paying for worse treatment. And we'd go in and, okay. and we'd sit in on their group therapy and mirror them, which is to say we, we'd, we'd hear what they were saying and, and absorb it and kind of – I think it was pretty cool. They do that at Talbot down in near Atlanta. They, it's, it's a pretty high-end kind of, kind of therapy for drug addicts. But I remember hearing this 20-year-old kid saying, I can't, I can't relapse. If I relapse, I'll go to jail. I can't relapse. Like that was – in his mind, he, that was yeah. the reason he couldn't – and of course he relapsed. I mean he relapsed and he was in jail. He was right. But he, yeah. in his mind, he's like, I – no way I'm going to do this. I might go to jail. Like as if that was something that was going to keep, you know, the bottom line yeah. is like I, I was motivated for a lot of reasons. I mean, I did want to keep my family like I did, mm-hmm. I, but I also, uh, being a dentist was a pretty good gig and I didn't want to like not be able to do that. So that's, I mean, that's a little bit crass and that's not very spiritual. <laughs> like, like, well, but it was, it was very like helpful. That, that would be a huge important thing. I yeah. mean, You've got to have something to. It's an incentive, a huge, yeah, you, you've actual have incentive. incentive. It's it's like a real life incentive. Like, whereas you know, you can talk about doing everything for the right reason and because you're you know because you want a better life, but also you'd like to have be able to make money at the career that you you spent a lot of time and money like getting. Let's be honest. Exactly. I mean, it's so like like there was risk and reward, and it was worth it. It wasn't you know that's not hanging over me right now. It was it was it was a three year contract, so that's. It's been, you know, 13 years since anything like that was hanging over me. But arguably, that's super effective. It's one of the reasons healthcare professionals are probably more likely to do well in, in addiction treatment. So, right. And right. I, I think that that incentive, unfortunately, they can't, there's not necessarily that kind of incentive for a lot of quote unquote normies who, who don't have, you know, 
who right. don't have something like that. It's a little sad in some ways. So. Right. Well, as always, this kind of went in a direction that I wasn't expecting, and that's okay. That's that's. I think that's. I'm fairly certain that's why we have the Allen Meat Experience. For yes, we yeah. are dentists. Often we don't talk much about teeth, and that's okay too. But uh, this was great, as always, Tammy. I appreciate you being on. We'll have you on again real soon. Okay. And uh, thanks again for being here. No problem. If you have any questions or comments for me or any of my guests. Uh, feel free to drop an email, alan, A-L-A-N, at theallenmeatexperience.com. You should come join the Facebook group if you're a listener. The password to get into the Facebook group, as I mentioned before, is Premier, uh, and we'll get you in. It's, I think it's the best Facebook group on Facebook. So you should join us. Uh, it's a pretty sweet crew, and we'll talk to you next time. 